Eric. Hey, Tom. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty all right. Um, so normally you're on big time whoopsies, and a thing that you like to do on every episode of your show is you like to open by asking your guest a question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the concept. Bring some of that heat to you here today for Ooh. my story. All right. Um, also, uh, for listeners, there's an, I'm in a new apartment. There is a different room tone. You will probably notice. I hope it's pleasing. Eric. Yeah? You're a game dev in the late 90s, maybe even like very early 2000s. That's why they bring me on podcasts, baby, for the game dev expertise. Yeah. Uh, let's say you're in 3D art. All right. Levels have already, uh, levels have already been decided, and you're on airport duty. Mm-hmm. Your area of expertise is NPC models. Yeah. So you know you'll probably be populating the airport. Okay. Your supervisor walks into the room and says, we got the word from high up. Let's get to work and hands out your assignments. You open your email to see. Directive. 3D model. Terrorist. How do you feel huh. about this, Eric? Do you want to do this work? Um, I mean, me personally, no. Well, I've got fantastic news for you. <laughs> Is it, is it really fantastic, or are you being sarcastic? Yes, this everybody confirmed Eric McAdams loves 9-11. What? <laughs> See, that, that, after the what, that's where I'd put in the theme song. is all about uh for my story is all about the it's not, it's less of a story and more just like talking about all the games that were changed as a result of the uh attacks on the world trade center and the pentagon on september 11th 2001 okay uh rather than <laughs> so so i'm just gonna gonna say this up front not a lot of shared themes between the two stories <laughs> Really? You don't say? Yeah, I... I. Not a ton. Do you see why I couldn't tell you what the theme was? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I couldn't even hint at it. Because um, it's really not very possible to hint about 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than just do like a spattering of a list, I decided to organize it by category. Uh, there's going to be some crossover between all of them, but okay. here are the many flavors of change made to games after september the 11th mm-hmm. flight sims <laughs> starting strong something that really you cannot shy away from the subject matter <laughs> okay ace combat 4 shattered skies uh-huh. a piece of promotional imagery was changed it was to feature a sinking battleship battleship billowing with smoke set against the background of skyscrapers all right uh, the, the I, can, attacks... I can i can see how that might be upsetting yes when the when the towers fell uh it happened literally days before this image was supposed to make it to a print so they what they did was they just cut out all the buildings resulting in the appearance of a ship sinking in a port harbor devoid of buildings mm-hmm. yeah just 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 in a just in a harbor where, where no people are that's a normal yeah. thing yeah, you know, it's smoke billowing. There's no planes in the sky. There was no attack. It yeah. was just a kitchen fire that got out of control. Come on down to Boston, the bustling port city where nothing happens. 
Play Ace Combat, a, a game where planes do not blow up or crash. <laughs> okay. Not, 9-11, however, would later come to become canon in the series and be directly responsible for the development and creation of the in-fiction airplane ASF-X, uh, ASF-X Shinden 2. Apparently, it's a super cool plane. Okay. Microsoft Flight Simulator. Yeah. <laughs> Beginning in 2002, the game no longer featured the Twin Towers, which is, I suppose, accurate. Mm-hmm. That, that's, you'd have to do that, wouldn't you? Yeah. They also eliminated all airplane damage. Uh, they could not smoke or catch flame, which feels like an odd choice. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, we don't want to make you think of this tragedy, so our planes are magic? Our planes are invincible. Nobody dies. Yeah. It is impossible to die in a plane. Nobody has ever done it in the world of Microsoft Flight Simulator. Post-2002. Yeah, before that, everyone was dying. Yeah. All the Mods, time. yeah, planes crashing left and right. Really, it's just dangerous, guys. Mods were, however, created to add the flight damage back into the game, which means that, like you, Eric, modders love 9-11. <laughs> I just like this thing of, like, playing Microsoft Flight Simulator being, like, I just can't enjoy this without planes getting, like, smoking and then blowing up. Listen, if I don't have an engine on fire warning light going on, then I just can't, I can't be expected to enjoy the experience. It's historically inaccurate. It's, it's the white noise that I put on to get to sleep. How can I do without it? If you do not put a, a mission into Microsoft Flight Simulator 2002, where I literally fly a plane into the Twin Towers. This is a historical. I'm a gamer, and I really care about history. Yeah. Um, finally, we come to the canceled Propeller Arena. Uh-huh. Uh, lead, lead producer was Yu Suzuki, best known for being the producer of the Shenmue series. Mm. It was to be a futuristic air arena combat game where decommissioned World War II planes fought in a dystopian future arena for sport released for the Dreamcast. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. One specific map. Okay, here's the thing. Like, I think that this is in poor taste, but I, it would have been in poor taste immediately after 9-11. But uh, overall, I think you could have done it if you'd, if you'd amped up the fantasy. However, there was one specific map put in the game uh, that really sunk it called Tower City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a city of nothing but towers where nothing goes wrong. Look at all these, all the financial buildings. It's a, it's a big arena full of financial buildings and citizens. It's the center of trade around the world. Yes, it's in New Mork City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how close do you think this game got to release? I'll tell you, it was close. Oh. Um... Well, the real question is, like, how scared are people of treading on 9-11? Like, how much money are they willing to swallow to avoid upsetting people about that? Uh, can you give me, can you give me, like, a day? Like, how many days out from release? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bold and say a month out from release. It was, uh, to be released on September 19th, 2001. <laughs> They got so close. Yu Suzuki sat up. He got out of bed one morning and he flicked on the news and he was like, oh, shit. I got a crowdfund Shenmue 3 now. <laughs> Listen, maybe this is a bad, maybe this is a bad thing I'm about to say. I would have just released the game. Yeah, you know, people would have bought it. It would have been a bold artistic it's, decision. It's not like you chose to put it out 
you know, eight days after a horrible tragedy, the people should know that it took longer than that to make. Yeah, you should, like, you could, like, delay it, like, a year or a couple yeah. months. I mean, it was so, it was done. Like, that's the thing is, like... They had a finished game and they just torched it? Huh? Yeah. They just, they, mean, just, they just got rid of it because of that. Like, just They gone. just got rid of the whole game. It did leak. It did eventually leak, and it was circulated online in its close-to-release form, but it was never officially released. That's crazy. Just put it out a couple months later. Um... Now we're moving on to the second category, actual plane crashes and building destruction removed from games. All right, this is more what I was expecting. Uh, SimCity uh-huh. removed one of its disasters called, quote, air crash, wherein a commercial airplane <laughs> would spin as though in a drain and eventually uh-huh. fall to the ground, exploding on impact. Well, that's <laughs> well, that's exactly how it happened on 9-11, so they had to get rid of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I. Maybe, maybe because of United Flight ninety three, the the implication being that every single time you, as SimCity God, commands an airplane to crash, a United ninety three situation is happening. Mm. Um, Cron X, it's the world's <laughs> first online trading card game. Cron X had a card named huh. Crash and Burn, which depicted an airplane crashing <laughs> into a building. Just change it into a into a car. You're fine. <laughs> uh, Twisted Metal Black Though it would remain in the European release As well as the greatest hits version of Twisted Metal Black The ability to shoot down a Boeing 747 <laughs> Into a building in the level was removed Aw, oh, dang, can't imagine why they did that Instead the level began with the plane already crashed <laughs> Is that better? I guess it's better <laughs> You didn't do this, it just crashed i found a lot of forum posts too that were real keen on being able to like shoot down this plane one of whom was like very explicitly a nazi who was upset about the lack of nazi imagery in in german games he was like cool germany's so weak for censoring nazi shit out of their games also i'd like to be able to shoot down a boeing 747 and twisted metal black Mm. at least he's not a, a single issue voter you know uh shinobi uh, Eric, did you know that if you Google Shinobi 9-11, mostly what comes up is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No. <laughs> yeah. I've. N- this may shock you, Tom. I've never Googled Shinobi 9-11. Yeah, this is, this is unrelated, but apparently an advertisement for the Australian release of the film, which was on September 11th, um, not 2001, but 2014, uh, featured the turtles leaping out of a burning skyscraper, which many saw as an insensitive parallel to those who leapt to their deaths on 9-11. Anyways, Shinobi originally had a scene where the main character leaps out of a helicopter into the side of a skyscraper and uses his sword to slide down, and upon reaching the bottom, the building was to shatter. This was removed. Mobile Suit Gundam, Journey to Jaburo. (laughs) A space colony was dropped on a city resembling New York. I couldn't find info on whether or not this made it into the game. Wait, sorry, wait, sorry. A colony was dropped on another city? Uh, yes, a space colony fell from orbit onto a city resembling New York City. Well, that seems like bad planning right there. Yeah, I, I couldn't find info on whether or not I made it into the game. I did try to, like, scrub around through cutscenes online. Yeah, I if I were anything, so... if if I were a space colony, I would simply not crash into a planet-side city. If I were a game developer, I would simply not destroy a city resembling New York after the attacks of September 11th. Mm. Um uh, but the game was delayed as a result, so I do suspect that there was some change made. Uh, so I, I could not find uh, exactly why. 
Metal Wolf Chaos. While released overseas, it was uh, never localized for the U.S., despite the U.S. being the setting of Metal Wolf Chaos. Mm -hmm. The plot and content... Do you know about Metal Wolf Chaos? No. What is Metal Wolf Chaos? Oh, it's like... Well, it's, it's like becoming a big deal because it's... Um, I believe From Software made it. I could be oh. pulling that out of my ass. But it's like a mech combat game. Well, well, here's where where I betray my lack of credentials as a game developer. I've never played a From Software game, so that's why I don't know about it. Ah, there you go. Um, that's uh, You're not a real gamer, Eric. Dark nope. Souls. Dark Souls is the best game of all time. Hidetaka Miyazaki's a genius, and it's only him and not his incredibly talented team of people. Tom, what? I'm an imaginary gamer. I, it's a class mm, change. A gamer of the mind. Yeah. A game, an intellectual gamer. A Plato's allegory of the gamer. Yeah. Um, the plot and content was seen as too controversial for the political climate. The vice president stages a coup, and the president, a descendant of Woodrow Wilson, hops in a mech suit to stop him in a cross-country <laughs> journey of destruction. A descendant of Woodrow Wilson? Yes. The, <laughs> I know. Oh, he's a descendant of William Howard Taft. That's how you know he's good. Yeah, and the descent, the vice president. Yeah, God, I, the, ba the, the basically like this game is is known because its plot is like kind of ridiculous. But why Woodrow Wilson? I don't know. I guess we'll find out because he's Devolver a descendant Jeff of Herbert Hoover. Better watch out for him. Abraham Lincoln's great, 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 great. No, great. see, because I understand that. Like, oh, I understand that. Like, ooh, he's descended from Abraham Lincoln. Maybe some of that rubbed off on him. But like Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> Do you know what I found out today? Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was in constant, was in frequent communication with Karl Marx, and Karl Marx was actually instrumental in convincing Lincoln to end slavery? Mm. I, I think I've heard of that actually. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I just learned that Lincoln today. also had a thing where he was like, "If I could preserve the Union without freeing the slaves, I would. And yeah. if I could preserve the Union while freeing the slaves, I would." So that guy's priorities were good. Um, we'll be able to find out more about Metal Wolf Chaos because Devolver Digital is now publishing the game in the West with the logline, Buh, Mech America Great Again. Good, good job, everybody. Good job. That was very clever of you. Cool. Really kind of actually very speaks to, like, the historical, I don't know, just our, our proclivities as a nation that we are like, oh, we should use this cutesy white supremacist logline to market our game. But after 9-11 happened, we were like, this game can't be localized. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad they really stuck to the historical tradition of that game of being sensitive to historical events. Yeah. Uh, next category uh, is just miscellaneous. These are games that uh, were changed, but the changes were minor and didn't neatly fit into a category. All right. Uh, Lightning round. Go fast. Alright, Grand Theft Auto 3. Game is delayed, but only by three weeks, which gives a good idea of how minor the changes. Also, some of this delay was the result of the fact that the New York office was pretty close to ground zero. Although they talked about this, a lot of people either couldn't come in, or they were just, like, incredibly depressed. Which makes yeah. sense. A uh, mission called Love Hurts was cut since it contained references to terrorists. A few lines of pedestrian dialogue were removed, and the color of cop cars were changed from an NYPD blue and white to an LAPD black and white to distance Liberty City from its real-life analog. Can you New imagine York Can you imagine if, after this, we just kind of stopped putting terrorists into our media all the time? How good yeah, would that have I been? Think I think we've killed enough people that, that, I mean, probably shouldn't have done it to begin with, but I think that we don't really get to, like own the 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 extremist narrative anymore you know yeah because it feels like after like a, a tasteful six months after 9-11 happened a lot of terrorists started getting into these narratives 
Uh, NPC planes had their flight paths altered slightly so it didn't look like they were headed into any buildings. Uh, and of course, however, recreating 9-11 in Grand Theft Auto is a time-honored tradition. <laughs> it is, dude, how, how, okay, have you ever been in a room where people are playing Grand Theft Auto and then all of a sudden people are like in a plane and they're like, you know what I'm gonna do? And you're like, Jesus, don't say it. And they're like, recreate 9-11. Good Lord. Yeah. Siphon Filter 3. This is the uh, last one in the miscellaneous category. There was a mild cosmetic change made to the game. The cover art for the box originally depicted the protagonist in front of an American flag in a government building, presumably FBI HQ, given uh, the game's plot. This was changed to be a more generic portrait image to avoid the implication of terroristic destruction of a government building. This was changed to be on the moon! <laughs> uh, second to last category, removal of the Twin Towers. Uh, Spider-Man 2 Enter Electro was meant to climax atop the Twin Towers. However, they were changed to more generic skyscrapers in the final yeah. release. Command & Conquer Red Alert 2. The box art was literally the New York City skyline, devastated with the Twin Towers smoking and flaming. You know what? I've been making a lot of edgy jokes here, but I think this one's a pretty, a pretty smart change. Yeah, <laughs> seems like it. Yeah. Additionally, there was a Soviet officer with an eyepiece with a crosshair design uh, with the American flag and said crosshairs. They ditched the skyline, replaced the American flag with a nuclear bomb explosion. Despite the changes, there are still missions. And I think you and I, given our discussion earlier, will appreciate this. Uh, there are still missions in the game, I believe in the expansion, involving destroying the Pentagon and the Twin Towers. So, there you go. Cool. <laughs> didn't, oh my God. didn't really put in all the effort they could have, I feel like. Could have gone uh, farther. Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. The original ending was uh, to feature Arsenal Gear destroying the Statue of Liberty as well as New York City's financial district. This was cut, though numerous scenes of terrorism and destruction of government property remained. No one cared as far as I could tell, which says something about uh, how this uh, censorship was enacted. Yeah, very, very quickly it was like, yeah, this is normal. Yeah. Uh, additionally, live-action footage for the Twin Towers was removed from the end credits. Uh, last for this category, a, 99, a 1995 rail shooter called Gunblade New, Gunblade New York Special Assault Air Force was re-released on the Wii in 2010, and they removed the Twin Towers from the re-release. Uh, the, the game came out before, oh uh, yeah, in 95. Uh, the, I think they removed the Twin Towers because the game takes place in 2005. Mm. Maybe that's it. Um, you know, hey, 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 Gunblade New York, imagine a better world. Imagine, imagine a blade gun. <laughs> Finally, last category, the one you've all been waiting for, straight up racism. Tony Hawk's <laughs> Pro Skater 3. Released in, yeah, released in October of 2001, they made a last minute change to the airport level, which originally featured terrorists. Uh, the terrorist characters were replaced with pickpockets, though their asset file names still refer to them as terrorists. Cool. Uh, and, uh, the last one, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> you ever just think about a video game? Do you ever just think about Dennis Dyack? You ever just think about titling your one, like, blockbuster work of art, Edge of Darkness, Sanity's Requiem? Oh my god. Do you ever think, what if, what if he, what if this person came up with that title, like, goes back to his family on Thanksgiving or something, has some extended people over. He's like, why don't you tell them about your video game? It's called, uh, so we're working, and to communicate to the gamers, we really wanted to make sure that they, we communicated the tone. What's that it's it pretty. called? 
And uh, also that it's about the beginning of a story, so we called it Dark Ronald, Origins. what's it called? It's called Dark Origins. <laughs> Could punch that up, make it Edge of Darkness, Sandy's Room. <laughs> a Templar character by the name of Josin de Molay uh, was removed despite being shown and being playable in a 2001 demo. The change was made because many of his levels took place in the Middle East uh, because of the Crusades, and while... Many of the Middle Eastern levels remained. They were attempting to strip some of the geopolitical context surrounding the Crusades. He was changed into an oil well firefighter. Uh, final fact, thank you for listening. They also removed any and all Arabic writing because, quote, everyone was scared of giving offense and being attacked for it by terrorists, almost to an extreme. Good boy. Oh, boy. Video games. Indeed. Well, that was that was that was a riveting story. Well, not really a story. Collection of facts. Yeah, not really a story. But I've been wanting to talk about the uh, changes made to games to nine eleven for a yeah, while. Yeah, and, so. and 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 much like the video game industry after nine eleven, with Liam around, you were censored and couldn't uh, do it until now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, when Liam's away, Tom comes out to play. Um, and and and, mo- and I hope not make too insensitive jokes about nine eleven. I, I <laughs> yeah, hope. I didn't. I, I feel like maybe I should have worried a bit more. But eh. anyways, it's time for an ad break where you'll hear from another show in the network, and then Eric's gonna uh, come back and and tell jokes about uh, I don't know the Crusades. <laughs> nope. Hey listeners, do you ever watch a movie for your favorite actor, but then you discover that it wasn't worth your time? Well, my time is worth nothing. I'm Lenny Burnham. I'm the host of The Filmographers, the podcast where I'll watch an actor's full filmography and tell you what stuff is worth watching and what stuff you shouldn't bother with. There's lots of episodes already available, a lot more coming soon. They're wherever you get your podcasts, so check out The Filmographers right here on Major Cast Network. Mm. hello everybody if you're if you're still listening good job and thank you for uh giving us so much rope to hang ourselves with eric i believe you've got a movie story for me i do indeed normally i'm a i'm a sports boy on this podcast but i'm i'm filling liam's shoes so i'm talking about movies uh and i and we've we've had a kind of less structured story so far just a a list of facts this one this one's got a real narrative well kind of Mm, anyway following the three-act structure like all history does this is the story of nub city (laughs) chapter one grave digger oh my errol morris is a documentary filmmaker born in new york in 1948 He rose to fame in the late 80s with a thin blue line about a man convicted of murder and sentenced to death who had not committed the crime. This made a lot of waves, made him famous, and the man was eventually acquitted. But that wasn't his first movie. He had had a few documentaries that came out previously, and on top of that, he had a few projects that never saw the light of day. First among these was his academic career, where he attended several institutions, including Princeton and Berkeley, and had uh, antagonistic relations with many of his professors. Mm. He was kind of a weird, opportunistic asshole. One of his professors mostly remembered him for trying to sneak into movie screenings he wasn't allowed into, and then denying that he was doing so. Ah, okay. So so he's sort of a troublemaker. He's, yeah, the, the, think think opportunist. He's he, he tries to kind of talk his way into things. He he talked his way into attending Princeton, basically. He had no like, qualifications or anything. 
He just kind of said, like, hey, you should let me be a student. They were like, all right. And he didn't tell them that he'd tried the same thing with Harvard and they'd rejected him. Bro, I mean, he probably didn't walk in and be like, so I just got out of Harvard and they <laughs> won't take me. So can you can can we work something out? Yeah. Choice number two, how are you feeling? His first film project was set to be something of a collaboration with none other than Werner Herzog. Where they really? Would, yeah, where they were going to investigate the serial killer and necrophile Ed Gein. Oh, Gaines? Is it Gein or Gein? Ed Gein. Gein, thank you. Uh, Morris conducted several interviews with Gein and through his research became convinced that Ed Gein had dug up the grave of his own mother at one point. Based, based on this, uh, he made plans with Herzog to secretly dig up the mother's grave to confirm this suspicion. There, everybody, okay, everybody is like, Werner Herzog is this visionary, but I keep hearing stories about, like, deeply, deeply unethical behavior on the part of Werner. Oh, yeah, no, 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 he's, he's, like, calmed down and become more like a actual film artist, Mm -hmm. but for a long time, he was just kind of nuts, like, he was just doing shit, and it wasn't- the movie he did about a boat where like he he had like deeply unsafe working conditions and people did die as a direct result oh yeah and the time he threatened klaus kinski with a gun to keep him on set oh my god yeah it's a whole thing uh anyway herzog is gonna leave the story very shortly um so they made these plans to dig them up and herzog showed up but morris got cold feet and the project fell apart after that that's fair. I don't think I don't think Herzog has ever bluffed in his life. I don't think Herzog has gotten cold feet about anything ever. Yeah. So Herzog and Morris seem to be kind of fed up with one another, but um, Herzog gave Morris two thousand dollars to continue the project. Mm-hmm. Um, Morris tried to reject it. He like threw it out the window of his car or something, and then Herzog picked it back up and said, "Don't do that again," and handed it back to him. And he was like, "Okay." Uh, and But instead of continuing the Ed Gein project, he started a new one with it. He had seen a news clipping about a little town in Florida where some strange goings-on had gotten some national media attention. Chapter 2. The Nub Club. Oh, yeah, I'm loving these chapter names. 100 miles east of Pensacola, Florida, is a little town called Vernon. About five square miles in size, it had sprung up in the late 1880s as part of a shipping route of gopher tortoises. Okay. Gopher tortoises were valued for their shells and occasionally for their meat. As you might imagine, this did not sustain the local economy for very long. Yeah. And by the early 1950s, the town citizens had gotten desperate. Even to this day, we do not know who first had the idea. What we do know is that for a short stretch of time in the 50s, Vernon, Florida led the entire nation in insurance claims relating to one particular type of accident. This type of insurance claim was accidental dismemberment. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, Eric, I've been watching... Um... I survived a lot and I <laughs> I watched one today about a guy who literally got his leg like ripped off to just above the knee by mm-hmm. a fucking like oil driller engine thing fucking harrowing shit <laughs> in the early 1950s Vernon was responsible for up to two-thirds of the entire nation's accidental dismemberment insurance claims good lord There was an epidemic of hunting accidents, 
where a man lost his arm or foot because it had been accidentally shot off. Good God. I mean, this town has to just be like, you hear about Dale? Yeah, same thing happened to me last week. Mm-hmm. The stories told during the epidemic were wide-ranging. One man said he was trying to protect his chickens from a fox and shot himself. Another said he mistook his own foot for a squirrel. Excuse me? <laughs> Another won nearly $1 million from insurance despite having a tourniquet at the ready at the time. Which he, um... which he said he kept on his person in case of snake bite. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are you, people... You, you in... getting at what we're getting at here? So they're intentionally mutilating themselves for the insurance payouts? I'm not sure who came up with the nickname, but the 50 or so locals, the 50 or so locals, missing arms or legs in a town of like 600 people, were eventually called the Nub Club, and the town was nicknamed Nub City. Hang on, I have to do a quick little calculation there because I'm bad at math. (laughs) 600 over 50, no, that's, yeah, that's 12% of the population. Yep. That's, that is literally like nine in t- or one in ten people. <laughs> Jesus. The, the locals were not exactly master criminals and would frequently they would frequently take out multiple insurance claims in the weeks before their accidents. Oh my God. However, insurance investigators could not convince juries that the dismemberments were intentional. How, how, did anyone did anyone? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I'm on that jury, I'm like, fuck yeah, like, let's get these people some money. But I got a question. How many people fucking died doing this, right? Like, people had to have died, right? I would think so, but I can't answer the question. You'll see why in a bit. Like, ah, shit, I I shot my foot off uh, because I thought it would be easy, but now I went into shock and I fell asleep in the woods and I bled out. Yeah, that's what I would think. So, Murray Armstrong, one of these investigators, said it was hard to make a jury believe a man would shoot off his own foot. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of insurance money went to individual Vernon citizens, millions to the town as a whole. And finally, insurance companies raised premiums in the panhandle of Florida. That mm-hmm. finally put a stop to people buying insurance before, when, which, and also the increased attention put a stop to the nub club. Putting, shooting your leg off to get the insurance payout is, I, and I know this term gets used loosely, but that is praxis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really high tier grift. And so Vernon, Florida quieted down until the 1970s and 80s when there was a slight revival in national interest, which attracted Errol Morris. Chapter three, documentary now. <laughs> oh my God. Morris showed up in Vernon in 1976 to film an interview-driven documentary about Nub City. It was going to be called Nub City. However, okay. he quickly found out he quickly found out that people willing to blast off their own feet for insurance money aren't so willing to snitch on themselves to some big city filmmaker. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Morris spent days trooping around the town trying to find someone with first-hand experience at the Nub Club to talk into a camera for him. Finally, getting desperate, he showed up at the house of a quote-unquote nubby whose son-in-law was a Marine. The, the nubby was, was, was suspected of, doing, of, of having his injuries 
plural, be intentional because he had done them in the recommended pattern of having one leg and one arm shot off on the opposite side so you could hold a crutch effectively. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fucking brilliant. That is wild. Just like the... the Like, I don't know what the... the propriety of these people the the to figure out the ideal way in which to maximize your payout while like trying to minimize the permanent effects on your life via disability that's what pragmatic is what it is mm-hmm. he shows up at this guy's house and he kind of presses presses the issue while the son-in-law the marine is there mm-hmm. and he presses the issue even though the old man did not want to talk to him and Morris then got his ass beat by the Marine. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't go to the hospital or anything. But Morris decided to give up on the Nub City documentary when this happened. Hey, you know, that's, that's fair. I probably wouldn't, uh, you know, sometimes people just don't want their story being told. Not every story has to be told. Morris returned a few years later and still couldn't find any willing participants, so he made a different kind of documentary, just focusing on the town's eccentrics, talking about their favorite words and hunting patterns and whatnot. No mm-hmm. mention of the dismemberments is made in the film. It's called Vernon, Florida. It, had a li- it got a limited open in the early 80s, and I think you can find all of it on YouTube. Oh, word. It's, I mean, it's not bad. It's, it's just it's not about Nub City, which is what yeah. he wanted. Rumors and speculation about Vernon, Florida persist to this day, aided sometimes by the town's own residents. <laughs> there is apparently there was apparently a news video that circulated in the 80s, so I couldn't find it online. But there was a video of a town hall meeting where a brawl broke out and a school teacher got severely beaten, and one of his assailants had a hook for a hand. Oh my god, that's awesome. Asked how he got the hook, his wife answered, I think you know. <laughs> and still, nobody in the town was ever convicted of insurance fraud, and nobody in the town has ever spoken on record about the Nub Club. That is, honestly, that's fucking awesome. Just yeah. like everybody, that community, just like in lockstep with one another. 100%. That's awesome. That's like, that's like the, the, I think the unsung best part of this story is how the town's residents are like a completely unified front about, no, we're not going to tell you about the time we used shotguns to shoot off our hands and feet. Nobody at all. Uh, Errol Morris is now in his 70s and has many more successful documentary films under his belt. Recently, he made the Netflix docuseries Wormwood. He still thinks about Vernon, Florida, though, and with the world's newfound fascinations with true crime stories, he thinks there might be potential in a, re- potential in a revisiting. Mm. He still isn't sure why they went to such extreme measures for insurance money, though he remarked on the culture of both poverty and self-reliance. Yeah. Maybe it's the isolation, he once said. And that's the end of my story about Nub City. The Eric, that fucking kicks ass. That was so good. <laughs> this Holy is so... Shit. I think... I, I think I would be comfortable losing a foot. I, like... Because, <laughs> here, like, here's the thing. I play, I play guitar. Like, I... And I just, I just, you know... And I, I'm also a noted gamer. Um, and... I, and I know that there are ways to circumvent that, but I, 
I enjoy my modes of play and I enjoy the feel of playing guitar and such. And so I don't think I would voluntarily sacrifice my own hand. But like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know this about me, Eric. I don't do a lot of run- running. I'm never in like a, yeah, never really I was, in a big hurry. I, I've, I naturally, because I am a similar kind of idiot as you, uh, I thought about this question as well. And I was like, I would probably go for a foot. I want to be dexterous more than I want to be able to run fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still, I'm not going to do it, but that's right. If I ever do commit insurance fraud, well, one, it's not insurance fraud. I really lost the foot insurance investigators. And two, this podcast is inadmissible in a court of law. We are dealing with podcast uh, uh, statute of limitations here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you say it on a podcast, it doesn't count. Exactly. (laughs) Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, so sometimes if we talk about bummer stuff, which I suppose we did do this episode. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I thought we each brought our own light to it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, we like to do the self-care corner where we talk about a good thing that has happened in our days, our weeks, or in our lives. Eric, uh, do you have a a nice thing that's happened to you? Why don't you go first this time? Let me think about it for a second. Uh, I moved recently. That is actually uh, uh, the biggest change in my life recently and has been the result of a little turbulence on uh, network release schedule. So everybody, thank you for your patience with that. However, uh, the move went very well. I'm very happy in my new apartment. And yeah, I don't know. I'm going to Game Dude today to pick up Wolfenstein Youngblood. I'm very excited for it. That's my self-care corner. Mm. Well, I think mine is also video game related because I've been playing the new Fire Emblem game. Mm. Got that a couple days ago. I've been playing it kind of right alongside my little brother who also has it. Uh, we've been we've been kind of working our way through it, maybe building support relationships with the different units. You know, killing some bad folks who may not be bad. It might be kind of ethically ambiguous. Haven't really figured out the central mystery of the narrative yet. Mm. Yeah. Been, I've, I've been enjoying it. I'm also up in Maine with my family, which is nice. Been eating a lot of lobster. Mm, nice. Yeah, that's been good. Hell yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for filling the void. Um, no, I was happy to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, you can follow us each on Twitter, Lockney underscore ebooks, L-O-U-G-H-N-E-Y. Um, please don't at me if I over if I cross <laughs> the line with 9-11. I'm very sorry. I apologize. Um, <laughs> Eric, you're at Eric McAdams Ugg, yeah? Yeah, that's true. At Eric McAdams Ugg, you can find some work that I've put up primarily on fanbite.com nowadays if you want to see more. You should also check out my podcast if you enjoy me telling stories uh, to people who've never heard them before. Then I'd recommend Big Time Whoopsies, which is also on the Major Cast Network. Big Time Whoopsies is a fantastic podcast. I'm an avid listener. Eric is an incredibly good host, and all of his guests are wonderful. Thank you. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody, to another episode of Media Majors. And as always, we'll be there for you.